Escape from Plan A. Welcome to this episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, uh, Adam Goodman. Um, and this is um, a special episode because this is going to be the first um, in a series that we're doing on the issue of adoptees without citizenship. Uh, and on this first episode, uh, we're going to be focusing on the impact that this not having citizenship has on um, on people. Uh, so we're going to be hearing from three impacted adoptees um, that I had the privilege of talking to. But before we get into that, uh, I want to make some special acknowledgments um, that this, this series of podcasts would not have been possible without the sponsorship of NCRC uh, and that uh, the content and, you know, the planning and um, a lot of my education on the topic, uh, as well as just, you know, giving me, uh, connecting me with the adoptees that I speak to and that you'll hear from, um, wouldn't be possible without the, uh, you know, the, the help of the Adoptee Rights Campaign. Um, so... This is going to be the first of, of three planned episodes, and as I said, we're going to be focusing on um, the impact that not having citizenship, and in many cases being stateless, has um, on a person. Uh, so, uh, first we're going to introduce the three adoptees we're going to hear from, uh, and their names are Leah, Sarah, and Mike. Uh, and we're going to start with Leah, and she's going to just give her an introduction of, of herself. So I was born in 1982 and I was adopted to the United States in January of 1983. Um, I grew up in Nebraska. My birth certificate is from the state of Nebraska. My social security number begins with the typical Nebraska prefix. Um, and about a year after my adoption, my parents got divorced which I've learned now is kind of a typical setting for these types of situations. Um, so my adoptive parents never completed the application for citizenship, um, the application for certificate of citizenship on behalf of an adopted child. And growing up, I mean, as a kid, I don't think I even knew that I wasn't a citizen. Uh, my parents were great. My, my family was great. I was never treated differently than my sister's. Um, who are my parents' biological children, never treated it any differently than my cousins. Um, and I had a pretty pretty great childhood. Um, so citizenship just wasn't even something I thought of. And next, uh, we will hear from Sarah. I'm an adoptee from Iran, and I was adopted in 1972 before the revolution. My parents and family, we moved to Wisconsin, and that's where I was adopted. And... 
my adoption was completed in 1974. And I grew up in a rural area of Wisconsin. It was mostly German and Polish population. And I remember early on understanding that I was a person of color. My first day of first grade, I remember being called the N-word. And I remember having to go home and ask my mom what that meant. And then fast forwarded to nine years old in grade school and the Iranian hostage crisis was on TV. And I remember seeing those images and my classmates saw those images on TV and I remember being taunted for it. I remember the kids telling me that they couldn't come to my house because I would take them hostage. And so I, I learned at a really early age that I came from a part of the world that was considered dangerous. And I grew up in Wisconsin for the most part. Um, at age 16, there was verbal and physical abuse in my home. And my family fell apart for the most part. At 16, I went to live with strangers. I'm considered one of those adoptees that was an unregulated transfer. And because of the situation at home, I went to live with strangers. And last but not least, um, we're going to hear from Mike. I'll start. Go ahead, start. Um, I was adopted from Bogota, Colombia in 1978 by American parents. Uh, They flew down there and stayed a week and picked me up. And brought me back to the States. Uh, lived in Illinois till I was uh, 12. And then we moved to Florida. And I've been in Florida the rest of, pretty much most of my life with a little hour, or I'm sorry, not hour, a year's stay in Nebraska. And then I moved back to Florida because apparently I missed it. Uh, and then, you know, lived my normal life up and, you know, been married, had a son. I uh, got divorced and, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend and had a, my daughter, my oldest daughter. Um, and then, you know, broke that off, got remarried. And now I have a young daughter, nine months old. So from their own words, um, I think it's clear that, you know, uh, adoptees in America, be they from Korea, um, Iran, um, or Colombia, or anywhere where they're from, uh, or uh, country of origin. Um, they're just people trying to live their lives, um, raise their children, um, plan for retirement, um, and just take, you know, even t- take vacation. But at some point, they realize that they do not have citizenship and it can be quite a shock. Um, so let's hear from each of them when they first became aware um, of this issue, because it doesn't happen um, at the same time for everybody, for every um, adoptee. Uh, and sometimes it's a big shock uh, and has a huge impact. And sometimes it just is acknowledged, but doesn't immediately impact the person's life. So first, we're going to hear from Leah. And when I did realize it, I think in high school, I kind of wanted to go on a class trip to Europe. 
Um, but of course, yeah. to travel abroad, you need a passport. And my mom said that wasn't possible because I didn't, I was not a U.S. citizen. In 2008 is when I first became aware that I was not a citizen. And I had just finished a couple milestones that were really important to myself. I had finished college. I had bought my first home. I had paid off my student loans. And so I, at that point, had decided that it was time for me to start traveling. And I was 38 at that time. And I got a letter that told me I needed to go to immigration because they needed more forms. And I went to immigration and they were very perplexed. They kept looking for me in the database. They found me in the database and said, my gosh, there's not any other records in here outside of your entry into the United States on a six months visitor's visa with your parents. And he said, well, but there's a form. If you're an adoptee, there's a form. You can just simply fill it out. You'll get citizenship through your parents. And I never at any point had ever, I guess, identified as an immigrant. I had been here from an early age. And this was my first exposure to immigration. I had no idea how the process worked or how someone got citizenship. And it was never discussed when I was growing up. I was just told I was a citizen. It was recommended that I complete the N-600 form. And it just primarily was asking for me to prove to them my parents were U.S. citizens and I had to supply my adoption records. I didn't think anything of it, filled it out, paid the form, submitted it. And then the rejection letter came. The rejection letter basically just stated that they identified me, yes, as being adopted and my parents were U.S. citizens. But the big problem was, was that my parents had an ob obligation to adopt me and finish the immigration process, naturalize me before the age of 18. About four years ago now, I found out that my parents who brought me to America didn't finish the adoption and it put me in huge pickle. So we've heard from Le Leah, Sarah and... Uh, Mike about you know when they first realized they were not citizens um, but that's not where it ends right um, that's just the beginning of a long stressful and painful journey that for some and for 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 these three um, adoptees still is not not over so the next clips that I want to share with you um, and the, the next words from these adoptees that I want to share with you are how their lack of citizenship uh, and it really should be stated to be um, lack uh, statelessness because the adoption process actually strips your citizenship from your country of origin to even allow being adopted internationally uh, with the assumption that you're going to be given citizenship in your country of destination, which is the United States for all, th all the three of these adoptees. Um, but that doesn't always happen. Uh, and for thousands, it hasn't happened. And that state or that 
um, circumstance of being stateless has impacts on all parts of, of life. Uh, and so I'm going to, uh, you know, play a clip from, uh, Leah, um, uh, Sarah and Mike, uh, first from Leah, um, then Sarah and then Mike, um, about, um, the impact that this has had on their families, uh, and, and on themselves. Yeah, my sister definitely is, and even leading up to the last election, um, presidential election in 16 and the midterms last year, um, we talk a lot, and we're pretty aligned in our thoughts, um, our views about politics, but the rest mm-hmm. of my family, and I, I grew up in Nebraska, Yeah, it's a very Republican state, um, my, my whole family is Republican, so it was something that I couldn't talk about with anybody but my sister like my mom my aunts and uncles probably my cousins we don't really talk about politics but they're all republicans they all grew up in nebraska um so when when the topic uh would come up it would get really tense and my mom would be like oh she doesn't want to talk about that (laughs) yeah i i get very anxious um i get really anxious when i'm driving and i don't know i think most people when they're driving and they pass a police officer on the side of the street, or maybe those lights go on behind you and it's really just for mm-hmm. you to pull over so they can go somewhere else. But you, yeah, you get that like fall like that, that, that like, uh, I get anxious every in time. In the bottom of your stomach, right? Like yeah. you just kind of like, Oh, are they coming after me? Even if you're driving the speed limit, if your yeah, license absolutely. is current, like everything, you, you kind of feel nervous when you see the police. Um, yeah. And so I feel that every time, like if I get pulled over, are they going to ask me if I'm a citizen um, yeah. instead of just getting a speeding ticket or a moving violation? Am I going to get arrested? Am I going to, you know, yeah. get sent somewhere else? At that point, it was recommended after the denial letter to see a lawyer. And I, I still did not have any idea as to what was going to happen to me next. I was not worried. I just thought, okay, there's just additional steps I need to take in it wasn't until I met with a lawyer that I had an understanding. Um, after she sat and flipped through bo- books and got on the phone and called around, and, and then she just looked at me and just said, Ugh. and I remember it pained her as well because I, I think she had to have known. I was just sitting there and I, and she just, she delivered this news to me and I started to cry and all this emotion just came out of me and she just told me she said at any point I could be deported back to Iran it was really hard to process and I just I just through my tears just kept asking her how could it happen why was this happening to me? I couldn't understand it. I was adopted. I just had always grown up with people telling me I was so lucky to be here. I was so lucky not to be in Iran. And I was fortunate. But then I couldn't understand how this country could throw me away. And that's how I felt when I heard those words. I 
everything that they had told me or I had been led to believe my entire life that adoption was supposed to give me was erased. I was an immigrant in their eyes and I, I had no right to be in this country. And and it was it was difficult because that day that my identity had always been a, as an American and it was stripped away and taken from me. And I was now this person with a burden to carry on my shoulders and I was supposed to be able to navigate this and I didn't know how and I felt so alone. <laughs> and so I left her office. She just told me, she just said, go back to your life. Just go back to your life. And I did. I, I took that burden 2008 and I carried it for a really long time. <laughs> <sighs> It's been a really tough journey for myself. And it took me over 10 years to find out that I was not alone and that I fell into this population of adoptees that were left behind by the congressional loophole of the Child Citizenship Act. In 2001 is when the Child Citizenship Act was passed. It was also the same year that I lost my father. I was 31. I was educated and I was setting up my life, my future. I had all the tools that my father had given me and I was living my life on my terms for the first time. My dad had no idea when he passed that I was so vulnerable and that I was left behind on the Child Citizenship Act because I was over 18. He didn't, he didn't know that I was going to have to live in fear. Everything that adoption gave me, it was just erased. My identity was erased. And I was just left to pick up the pieces. And every decision today is made out of fear. Fear that my worst fear is that I'm going to be homeless. I won't have employment. I'm going to lose everything. It's very difficult. I don't have the luxury like other people to think about what's going to happen next week, six months from now, a year, five years from now. I'm going into the most vulnerable part of my life, my senior years, not knowing if I'm going to be able to collect my social security. And it scares me. And uh, stress, I, you know, I stressed out, got so bad that I ended up with Bell's palsy my fear of being deported, my fear yeah. of not seeing my daughter, my son, you know, my oldest daughter, my oldest son, my youngest daughter wasn't born, but, you know, being separated from them, you know, my, my wife would have gone with me, you know, she would have been separated from her family. You know, there's a yeah, lot of he, craziness going on. You can't take your on. kids. I mean, your Without kids it, don't know anything other than no, the United States. Right. And, you know, my daughter lives with her mother and we didn't have any custody. Right agreement so it's not like i could just snatch her up because that's kidnapping that would have been worse so. as i re-listen to these conversations i've had with um leah sarah and mike um to put this podcast episode together um you know it it really just affects me like the first time i listened to it uh, and i've heard their stories um it makes me really upset and uh, I just, I just hope that people 
um, realize that this is a very serious issue um, and that this isn't that this is something that we really that we need to push to fix um, because this is about justice and it's about the character the kind of country that America really wants to be uh, and I fear that you know we're showing our true colors by allowing this situation to continue um, and uh, Sarah had some words that I want to uh, I want to play for you about why this is important and why legislation needs to be passed. The recent developments of Real Act IDA and having that enforced is really problematic for the adoptee population. You're looking at adoptees who have paperwork that's 40 to 50 years old, paperwork's missing. Sometimes people have incomplete adoptions. It's just messy. And we have come across several adoptees who can't get their driver's licenses and their Real Act ID because they're missing these important documents, and which means they can't fly. Uh, another thing as a result of that, too, is that none of us can leave the United States. None of us have ever seen the world. And that is absolutely tragic to be 40, 50, 60 years old, and you've never been able to see the rest of the world. I myself, particularly, I just feel very cheated. We're worried about our retirement. We're not sure if we'll collect our Social Security, despite the fact that we all pay taxes. We're worried about our employment. Some of us are more fortunate than others. We're able to get through E-Verify, which it links directly into Social Security. And if you're a citizen, then you can be employed. But it gets complicated. So as technology and different government agencies start to interconnect, it means more problems for adoptees. It means it makes it more difficult for us to survive. In the four years that I have been going to Washington, D.C. and sharing my story, I have stressed over and over to our co-sponsors, the staffers, legislators, how important a sense of urgency is for this legislation, that we are so vulnerable to deportation, that how our lives are affected daily, and that we need to act on this to prevent deportations. We're all vulnerable to deportation. I'm a visa overstay. So evidently I broke the law when I was four years old because I'm a visa overstay. And so now with the Real Act ID, we've been telling them four years ago, you're going to have this population of adoptees who are not gonna be able to drive or fly. And most importantly is to stop the pipeline of deportations. And I've talked to adoptees who've been deported. I talked to ad adoptees that are here, adoptees who are like myself all the time when they come to Adoptee Rights Campaign and they're trying to navigate their situation and they're scared and they're fearful of deportation. And so we need to get legislation passed. It's been 20 years since the Child Citizenship Act was passed into law, and we need to do something now. Mike uh, also had some words about um, how important um, getting a green card is, though a green card is not the end of the process, uh, and it is no guarantee um, of any safety, but it is a very important step in the process because um, any relief that one might have um, from the stress uh, is, is very important. 
Oh, that's like if I lose that thing, I'm screwed. I, 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 I unfortunately, I have to take it with me everywhere I go. But you know, that that is your, that is pretty much your ticket, your golden ticket in this country. You know, you gotta make sure you have it at all times. Um, I can travel with it. I won't travel with it outside the United States because I'll yeah. be honest with you. I don't. Again, that's another issue. You come into the country, you might get immigration officer who had the worst day maybe had a bad egg mcmuffin and said screw it I'm, everybody's staying out of this country you know it's just i yeah. just don't i won't leave the country until i'm a citizen and that's why i'm right. hoping that this law that you know it's for us that will give everybody citizenship that was adopted you know under these pretenses you know I, i'm yeah. hoping that'll pass because we deserve it i think that's a great point um, the adoptees without citizenship, citizenship deserve citizenship, um, because they're people and they've been in the United States and this is the only life they know. And they were brought here against their will in a way, um, as children with no power or agency to decide where they, they grew up, um, they didn't have a choice about the adoption. Uh, and it's a dereliction of duty of the United States to not properly take care of children that it allowed its citizens, their adoptive parents, to bring into the country, either through um, an adoption agency, um, through a lawyer, private attorneys, or um, none of those things. And um, it's a situation, and, and Sarah said it better than I can, so I will just play um, the clip for you right now. As an adoptee living without citizenship and being stateless, I'm angry. Every day I'm angry. I wake up to this every day. It's a nightmare. I had no control as a child in Iran being orphaned. I had no control as to which family I was adopted by. I had no control that I went into a family where there was abuse, neglect, and I was abandoned at the age of 16. My entire life, I've not had any control. But I thought in my older years that I was going to walk a different path, not realizing, again, I would have no control. I have absolutely no control if the United States makes the decision to deport me or to detain me, that's another thing that they could do. They could just make the decision to pick me up and like put me in detention and I could sit there. As an adoptee, we lose so much. You lose your birth country, your biological ties, your religion, your language, your culture. And then you're given the American identity. And then America comes for your identity and tells you, no, you're not an American. We... You're an American when you're a citizen and you can vote and you have these rights, but you don't have these rights. And we're not going to give you these rights. And that makes me really, really angry. And with that, I think um, that's a good place to um, conclude this episode of Escape from Plan A. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, as I mentioned, this is the first of a trilogy of episodes that we're going to be doing on the issue of adoptees without citizenship. This first episode was on the impacts of being 
uh, stateless and ha- not having citizenship has on those adoptees that are affected and don't have citizenship. Um, you know, it affects their mental health, their physical health, um, their, their families. Um, and it really is a situation that should not be happening. Um, and uh, in our next episode, um, we will be talking to um, some lawyers um, that are experts on more of the legal histories, the, the current legal issues, um, and um, that will be a fascinating discussion, uh, and that'll be coming um, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then the third episode, um, we'll talk about more of the legislative um, history uh, and the um, current legislative uh, situation um, and the political, general political climate. Um, so um, again, thank you very much. Um, I want to um, thank again the, the NCRC and the Adoptee Rights Campaign. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, uh, and uh, we always love hearing from you. Um, on you know, you can message us on Twitter uh, and on Instagram. So again, thank you very much, uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.